No. Never take a sip from your drink while you're chewing. It disrupts the mastication cycle. But sometimes I need a drink. Like, what if I'm eating something bready? Or salty. Right, or salty. Sort of a habit just to grab a glass and take a swig. If you're putting the glass to your lips during the chewing cycle, you're losing precious CPS. CPS? Choose per second. Yeah, but I... I suppose you don't have to listen to me, but I am on the top of the CPS boards for a reason. Efficient mastication isn't magic. It just takes a little practice. Anyone can do it. Elijah, any idea why Starfleet wanted us all here for this conference call? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. All right, I don't want to waste any time. Connections as of late have been spotty, and I don't want to risk the call. At Admiral? Did the call just... Drop, 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 dropping. Let's get this financial meeting underway. As we are all no doubt a woe, a woe, a woe, a woe, a woe. We are all no financial meeting under. Want to risk waste any time? Let's get this waste any underway. Dropping. Let's get this financial. He's lagging again. And disconnected. Okay, Cam. I've been doing a little reading and found that that Bulbert guide. If I'm reading it right, I'm supposed to jam a whole meal into my drink and eat it through a straw. No. If you are using the Bulbert guide, you are chewing wrong. Besides. What is the fun of eating a peanut butter and cheese sandwich soaked in sarsaparilla? If you're going to chew... Curses! Curse you lag! lag <clears throat> As I was saying, we're all aware that our expenditures are exceeding our resources. This overspending is, in turn, causing serious, hurt, hurtful, profit-forsaken lag. Wait, peanut butter and cheese? Is that any good? <clears throat> As I was saying, after an in-depth examination of asset expenditure, we found some areas of concern. Ignoring necessary and appropriately priced expenditures, here's a short list of things needing immediate attention. We've got three crates of t-shirts that say, The Silent Majority Hates DS9, and another two crates on order. Cancel the incoming order and try to get a refund. Aye, aye, Admiral. Jace, I've been informed you signed release of resources for continued shipment of sulfur hexafluoride. Explain. Oh, it, uh, it's not to deepen my voice, if that's what you're thinking. It's for a medical condition. Yeah, yeah, a medical condition. That order has been rescinded. Yes, sir. Cookie, do you care to help me decipher this code? It reads, Ense Orame Irvine Onicte. 14 million energy credits have been attached. It seems like you'd need a cryptography team and countless hours to crack the code. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Stop ordering Nerve Tonic. It's illegal. Have Saurian brandy. It's bottled exactly the same way. What? I'm not drinking that crap. Same goes for you and the Tribbles, Cam. I don't even want to know what you do with all those furballs. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Finally, all bridge officer and captain abilities have hereby been placed on restricted. They're too damned expensive. All of them? Even go down fighting? All of them. What about Gravity Well? Please don't take away my Gravity Well. Too expensive. Surely not Twilight Sparkle Secondary Fire. I don't even know what that is, but I assume it's also restricted. Beam fire at will one, two, and three? That's right. They are too cost prohibitive. You still have access to any and all ship weapons, batteries, and pets. Unfortunately, boff and captain abilities are outside of our budgetary restrictions. On the plus side, bridge officer resetting will no longer be a problem. That's not funny. Yes, it is. Now, any further questions? Now, these are outside any and all ship resetting will too cost presume it's all assume it's all assume it's all more lag. 
and disconnected. So do you just use American cheese or something else? Because American cheese and peanut butter just sounds weird. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 220 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, April 30th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, May 4th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) I'm Elijah. And I'm Cookie. So what do we have this week, Cookie? The web has been buzzing about a so-called warp field bubble that NASA may have accidentally created. So we'll check it out with Priority One Science Advisor Dr. Robert Hurt, Visualization Scientist for NASA's JPL. In STO News, we're joined by Sarcasm Detector once again this week to chat about Season 10. Later, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Speaking of hailing frequencies, it's great to receive all of your messages. So chat with us during our live stream on Thursday nights at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live. Or answer our community question by commenting on our website, Facebook.com forward slash Priority One, or via Twitter at STO Priority One. Thanks again to all our Patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week. Because of their support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page. One last thing, folks, we're looking for some talent to add to the Priority One podcast team. If you're a graphic artist that dabbles in cartooning, we'd love to have you on board. Or if you dabble in audio editing, we need some help with our weekly shows. So email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's talk science with Priority One Science Advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. Jumping places. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. The internet has been buzzing with a report that NASA accidentally created a warp field bubble. But how scientifically accurate is this story? Joining us to discuss it is Priority One Science Advisor, Visualization Specialist for NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, Dr. Robert Hurt. Hello everyone, I am so glad to be joining you in super skeptic debunk mode today. Yes, welcome back to the show. So you've got a bit of a problem with this story, don't you? (laughs) Uh, Well, that's one way of saying it. Let's say that I don't even want to call it a story. It's actually more of a non-story. Think of this as sort of the zombie story, because the thing's been dead, but it keeps coming back again and again and again, as if it's news. To uh, basically set it up, 
quickly. I don't want to spend too many cycles on this. This is all the product of a, an inventor, not actually even like PhD research scientist. And that's that's like always a kind of a warning sign. The history of perpetual motion machines being constructed by inventors who want to circumvent the laws of physics. Uh, this this M drive system is is part of that kind of shtick where you have an inventor who's proposed something that seems to violate laws of physics. He has kind of a happy theory of how it works. And unfortunately, because as science is open to ideas and you know, one of the points is, you know, when someone puts something on the table, you do experiments to validate, verify, because there is a group that works within NASA that has been working with this at some level. I'm, I'm far from an expert on, on the uh, group that's working on this, but nonetheless, just the fact that an individual within NASA has taken this up as a project, it conveys this magical NASA validation to everything, which really is not the case. What's been really disturbing last week is that there have been all of these news stories just on so many different blogs and sites saying that NASA has been testing this new drive system that will completely revolutionize the way we do space travel and in the process accidentally verified the existence of warp bubbles. And like none of this is true. Because basically, <laughs> if you track it to the source, as far as I can tell, this entire thing erupted as a so-called news story on a site known as MysteriousUniverse.com that someone basically gleaned and extrapolated the whole story from a forum post on a NASA fan site called NASASpaceflight.com. It is not a NASA site. Now, engineers post there, but enthusiasts, and it's, it's a mix. So the bottom line is, if NASA invents warp drive, you'll will not find out about it as a news story on a site that specializes in Bigfoot reportings, UFO sightings, and other other manglings of, of uh, ancient history. Uh, it will be as a press release about a validated, peer-reviewed article or series of articles showing very carefully what the research has done and accomplished. So it won't be a BuzzFeed article titled, A Scientist Fumbles Around in His Garage. You won't believe what happens next. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> interestingly enough, not how science reporting <laughs> typically goes. In general, I think this speaks to a really disturbing trend in the lack of journalism on the internet, especially even in sites that nominally you would associate with being a journalistic source, where you know, writers will see something on another website and rather than research it and talk to other scientists, talk to people involved with the story directly... They just generate their own story based on two or three levels of elder carb that have already been written before them with no actual research or validation. And this is just not winning journalism. And so for people who would like to read something relatively sane written on the topic, it's uh, I actually turned up a, a blog in Discover Magazine back last year when it had manifested in one of its many appearances in the uh, mass media uh, that really goes into a, a lot of what's actually happening behind the, the scenes in the story. So I, I suggest you go take a look at that. And I'm not saying warp drive can't happen. I'm not saying I don't want it to happen, but eh, this ain't the story yet. We got we got some work to do before we get there. Now, there has been some recent developments with uh, JPL and some collaborative projects that are making headlines. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, yes. Yeah, so let me shift uh, gears to uh, some real interesting science and in the uh, you could file this under uh, astronomers develop a, a really impressive long-range sensor system for detecting planets halfway across the galaxy there is a really interesting way that you can 
find things that are so faint that you literally cannot build a telescope large enough to see them directly. And that's a process called microlensing. It's a, an effect that occurs when you're looking at a distant object, say a, a star, a very large, very bright star that you can see you know, way across on the other side of the galaxy. If another object that's very faint passes in front of it, like a, a smaller, fainter star, the gravity from that foreground star will act as a kind of gravitational lens and will cause the background star to increase in brightness. It's effectively being magnified by the gravity. This is a thing we've known about for a long time. We've used it to measure, look for things like brown dwarfs floating in the galaxy that we, we don't know. It, it's like when you think about this faint star that's sort of between you and this distant bright star, right? It's You have to really think that the gravity from that star, it's, it's bending space in a way that it's almost like there's a much larger magnifying glass kind of, kind of in space around where that star is you're not seeing. And so as a result, the, it, the gravitational influence of the star expands, extends, you know, through a lot of space, which gives it, makes it an easier target. It it's, increases its likelihood of, you know, if it passes in front of a background star, we'll see the effect of that, that that slight warping of space due to the star's gravity. Now where the story gets interesting is if that star isn't a solitary star, but it has another planet, say a Jupiter-sized planet, the gravity from the Jupiter is actually going to distort the shape of the lens and create a, a kind of a ripple in the lens. Uh, the term that uh, astronomers use is caustics, which is, uh, you know, you've been exposed to caustics if you ever look at, say, at the bottom of a swimming pool and you see the rippling patterns of light that, that as the light from the sun is refracted through the water and you know appears at bright spots and dark spots. Well, so astronomers have found a way to use these caustics to identify the signature of a tiny little blip of gravity in addition to the gravity of the star. And what's cool is that this extends our ability to find planets way further out into space than what we can do, say, using missions like Kepler that have to actually be able to see the star clearly enough to see a faint signature of a, of a transit. It also doesn't require the system to have a particular alignment with a planet passing right in front of the star. It just has, that star happens to, just has to pass in front of uh, a background source. But the really cool thing is that, um, so you, you can basically figure out there is a planet and that there was an event, but with only one observation, you don't really know exactly how big it was or how far away it was. But when you have a second telescope that's offset, say, something like NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope, which is an infrared observatory that is now actually about 1.4 times as far away from Earth as Earth is from the Sun. That gives you a different baseline to watch that same event. So a really cool project has been going on with the Ogle Group, which is one of the uh, major projects looking for these microlensing events. They look at a big patch of sky at very, very distant stars, look at oh, tens of thousands of stars, and anytime they see a little microlensing event, they, they can monitor it. And then what happens is when Spitzer is in the right time of year to observe that same patch of sky, anything that looks like a microlensing event, they get Spitzer to follow up on too from its slightly different vantage point. Now, what's really interesting is just being offset by about 1.4 astronomical units actually is all you need in order to then precisely measure the distance to something that's 10,000 light years away. So what Spitzer is doing working with Ogle is giving them a chance not only to see when these events occur, but because when Spitzer sees it, it will be offset by maybe a few days, a week or so from when the uh, ground-based project sees it. Those two pieces of information together then let them actually determine, ah, it's this big and it's this far away. And it's literally letting us find planets that are 
halfway, three quarters of the way, I mean, even potentially as far away as the, the galactic center. Now, the ability to detect planets that far into our galaxy, what does that open doors to? Well, so like I said, when you consider things like the ground-based searches for exoplanets and even the Kepler mission, these things are requiring us to see the signature of a planet in the light of the star. So it means we have to, the star has to be bright enough that we can see a tiny little dip in its light when the, the planet transits in front. Very powerful and very, very useful, but it's still limiting us to just the region right around the sun. There are interesting questions to be asked about, does planet formation kind of happen the same throughout the galaxy? As you get closer to the center of the galaxy, the uh, the frequency of stars, uh, the density of stars actually increases. There's more of the perps or cubic light year. Uh, in fact, it increases quite dramatically as you go closer to the center. So if you have a technique that lets you actually do statistics on how many stars do you detect in microlensing and what fraction of them have planets, what's the distribution of planets, you can actually then start to decide, is there actually a pattern? Do, are planets more or less likely to be found around stars further out in the galaxy, like where we are, or are, you know, are they more common, less common, or just as common as you get in towards the center? And that alone will start to tell us things about the very nature of planet formation and how environment, when a star forms, affects the likelihood of planets and the kinds of planets that are there. So what the microlensing lets us do is it creates a whole new kind of unbiased way of detecting planet populations across a huge swath of space. Well, Dr. Hurd, thank you so very much for stopping by this episode, not only debunking the warp field bubble, but also talking about what's going on between Spitzer and Ogle. So thank you so very much for stopping by this episode. Uh, it's a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you out in the verse. And of course, Admiral's links for these topics will be in the show notes. Have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech that you'd like us to cover? Then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Greetings. I just want to set the record straight. I, in no way, hacked the computer system to trick it into believing Jace is an EMH Mark I and have him reassigned to scrubbing plasma conduits. I would never, ever do anything like that to take his place on the podcast. <laughs> well, for those of you that may not recall, that voice it belongs to none other than Cam, a.k.a. Sarcasm Detector. Cam, thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, let's jump right into Star Trek Online news this week, shall we? First up, some news regarding Perfect World Entertainment becoming a privately owned company. Now, several weeks ago, there was word that PWE founder Michael Yufeng Chi put in an offer to buy out the company. Now, according to Massively Overpowered, referencing a Washington Post article, the deal has gone through. And Perfect World Entertainment is now going to be a privately owned company incorporated through the Cayman Islands. The company will then be called Perfect Peony Holding Company. What does that mean for Cryptic Studios? It's not clear, nobody knows, and they haven't made any announcements regarding it. Although the Washington Post article suggests that users are playing more mobile games than they are PC. Maybe this could mean that Cryptic will have the opportunity to invest some R&D into mobile interfaces with their desktop platforms. Because I certainly hope so! Come on, Gateway! Well, the future is uncertain, but usually it just means that, you know, the companies do not have to be beholden to the shareholders any longer. Right, and in some cases that's good, right? You don't have to worry about 
you know, making the shareholders happy. You can focus on whatever the mission of the company is. So until we see some further announcements regarding this transition, everything is speculative, but hopefully it'll mean nothing but good for the North American branch of PWE. I hope so. Or PPHC. <laughs> you know, the first time I saw that, I thought it was perfect pony holding. <laughs> Come on, My you thought... little ponies! Exactly. You thought the same thing. Come on. I do now. Now, speaking of some big changes coming down the pike, Cookie, you've got something for us. Yeah, there's a forum revamp schedule. Oh, God, no, not again, for the love of all that. Now, is... This is a good thing. I don't know. I think. Maybe. Now, all of the Perfect World game forums will be in one singular location, and from there, each game will have its own sub-forum. All threads will be moved over and relocated to arcgames.com forward slash en forward slash forums hashtag. Now, these forums will now be hosted by Vanilla instead of vBulletin, this should be a little more user-friendly. You can bookmark threads. You can format your posts. YouTube videos are automatically embedded. Tweets and vines will be recognized. And you can even use GIFs for your profile picture. So, Cam, you can finally have your sparkly little anime girl GIF as your profile pic. Yay. <laughs> Another amazing feature is that you can mention users in your comments the same way you would on Twitter and they will receive a notification. Now this sounds so much better than the current setup. It's kind of messy and at times confusing. Not to mention I could never stay logged in on the website. I have to keep re-logging in. Now Cam, you use the forums a lot. What are your thoughts on this change? Well, it should be positive. Um, it'll make it nicer to post our videos onto the forums. Oh, yeah, that's true. And yeah, of course, updates to formatting and stuff would be greatly appreciated because it is kind of messy right now. It's a bit old school. I think that forums are a dying breed. I really do. I really think that that technology, that mode of communication is a dying breed. And not very many people go to forums in the first place. Cookie, you didn't even know the forums existed mm -mm. until... Until I started listening to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> especially in a free-to-play market where sometimes first-time MMO players jump into a game, they might not even know forums exist. So albeit that these features that they've included with this vanilla forum, the vanilla, vanilla is called, is the company. They sound great, and that's exciting. I did some research... And I went to vanillaforums.com and took a look at their pricing. Man, this is not a cheap platform. It's not. For enterprise, which I'm going to guess is the minimum that Perfect World invested, it's almost $1,200 a month. That's a lot of money for forums. And if they went the VIP route, it's, it could be $3,500 a month. Now, you know, we don't know what the actual cost was. Maybe they got into a deal with Vanilla. With Vanilla Forums, we never know. But this is expensive. So... I don't know, for a dying mode of communication that I just don't think people invest in. Everything is Instagram, everything is Twitter, everything is Facebook. Like, why spend this money, this R&D into, into a, a dying breed? I don't know. We'll see, though. Well, I think the current forums maybe might be dying, but this vanilla company or whatever sounds almost like a social network to me. I don't know if you can friend people or not, but um, I'm assuming you can. 
you can tag people, have conversations. I think it's going to be more popular if they use this instead of the current thing. I hope so. I hope so. I hope they see a strong return on investment for it. I have to disagree with you a little bit on the fact that forums might be a dying medium. Um, I think it's more of an evolving medium. It's been that way for a really long time. I mean, you got to consider that the forums that we see right now on the web is not the first version of this media that we have. Before that, there were BBSs. And, you know, the forums are just basically an evolution of that. Right, right. So eventually we're going to have another evolution of that. It's going to take another step. It's going to go in a different direction, maybe. But you don't think that social media is that evolution? Facebook, comments, uh, Instagram, Twitter replies and mentions? You don't think that was the next step in in forum communication and conversing with a community? Actually, I think the opposite. I think that stuff like Facebook is the dying medium. A lot of people are moving away from that type of social media, especially younger kids, um, even people like myself who, you know, when Facebook came out, yay, it was nice. But at this point, it's just about, you know, I'm pruning all the friends list, getting rid of as many people as I, as I can and just keeping... You're next, Cam. You're next on my list. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are doing that. Um, a lot of my friends have basically shut down their Facebook access. And a lot of kids these days, younger kids, are, are actually just avoiding Facebook and those kind of medium. You know, they, they don't want their parents or other people looking at their stuff. So, it, it's really hard for us to kind of really judge this because we're basically like looking at the trees and we can't see the forest. Well, we'll see. Again, I think these features are great. I think that hopefully they will enhance the user experience uh, because right now the forums that exist are limited, but it's not a cheap investment. And I hope that I hope that the community sees that return on investment. I hope so too. Jumping on to the next point, release notes. Today, April 30th, when the show was recorded, we got a uh, patch. We're going to have the link to these patch in the show notes. But I just want to point out a few points, a few things that they did. Number one, they resolved an issue which caused some items to be missing from the following locations. Account bank, fleet bank, mail, exchange. Items which were missing from these locations should now be accessible. I noticed that. That happened to me with a pet or something. I forgot because it disappeared and then I forgot immediately what it was. <laughs> yeah, I had a whole bunch of mails that came back from the exchange returned items and they were all grayed out. And now they're back and I can put them on the exchange again only to get them back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so that that's actually pretty good. Uh, number two, they added appropriate data to chemocyte-laced weaponry, subspace vortex, and structural integrity collapse to support interactions with effects such as reciprocity and other cooldown reduction triggers. What it, does this mean? Because I have you just said a lot of things that did not make sense to me. Technobabble, technobabble. Basically, the three new powers that they introduced with um, Season 10, chemocyte-laced weaponry, which is a tactical power, Subspace Vortex, which is a science ability, and Structural Integrity Collapse. These, when they were released initially, they were not hooked up with any effects such as Reciprocity or All Hands on Deck. A visual effect, you're saying? An animation? No, a cooldown effect. Oh. 
So, for example, chemocyte-laced weaponry, which is a tactical ability, um, did not have its cooldown reduced by reciprocity. Reciprocity reduces the cooldown of tactical abilities and intel abilities, for example, um, whenever you get missed in combat. Now it does that. Uh, another thing, chemocyte-laced weaponry did not trigger all hands on deck. All hands on deck, whenever you trigger a tactical buff ability, or a command ability, it reduces the cooldown of captain abilities and science bridge officer abilities. So now the hooks are there, and these powers work like any other power out there. By the way, I love Subspace Vortex. This is one of my favorite science powers out there. Really? Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Third point, Borg Red Alerts. They did some changes to board red alerts. Reward packs are now automatically unpacked when received and function just like a system patrol reward, such as those in the Delta Quadrant. The daily repeatable missions for these have been removed. They've added a 30 minute cooldown for each board red alert. And each board red alert requires the captain to be at least level 50 to enter. So these are some um, interesting changes. Um, the TLDR of it is that they have made them to be pretty much like the patrol missions. Priority ones... TLDR means too long, didn't read. <laughs> TLDR means too long, did not read. Priority ones own SFC tested these board red alerts on Tribble before they came live on Holodeck. And a link to his findings will be included in the show notes. And finally... They resolved an issue with gateways to Grethor, where defeating the Dreadnought too quickly could stop the progress in this mission. Now, the reason I bring this up because this was the, you know, this caused me quite a bit of amusement this weekend, where um, was I think Friday night, one of my DPS friends came to me and this was in the DPS monitor monastery, and he came up to me and he's like, sarcasm, I broke gateway to Grethor. And the first thing I say to him was, um, the troop transports have begun their <laughs> run towards the planet. No, I mean, seriously, I, I chuckled a little bit. And I'm like, okay, what, what did you do? He's like, I, I Nadion bombed the dreadnought and insta-killed it before it could teleport and it bugged out the whole mission. And I, I chuckled so hard, I snorted. It was quite funny. We passed it on to the devs and... Of course, I'm just imagining the, the face palming the devs did when they heard about this. They did what? The DPS search did what? But that was fixed pretty quickly. It's pretty amusing. And uh, there are, of course, more fixes in the patch notes. There's a lot of stuff to fix with Season 10. But uh, to see the rest of those fixes, check out the show notes for the link to the patch notes. Star Trek Online player Starfish1 took the time to update his massive starship chart with Season 10 ships. It looks like he's dedicated an entire website to his charts for Star Trek Online, not just for Federation starships. Additionally, he's made charts for each faction and alien ship. Now seriously, there is no way a project like this is easy to produce. And I don't see a single donate button anywhere on the website. So. If you catch this guy in game, throw him a little bone or something. Some EC, I don't know, I, a nerf tonics, doesn't matter. Because he certainly deserves this or just awesome recognition 
for the product that he's producing. It's fantastic. So, hey, Starfish, we're looking for some assistance with our graphics department. So if you want to join Priority One Podcast, just email us. Seriously. Yeah, he did an amazing job on this. So detailed. And you can zoom in really close and see all the detail in the images. So, Cookie, you are the voice of those struggling with the lag. And finally, we've heard an answer. Tell us about that. Yes, well, Sarcasm Detector had a hand in that too, because he replied, Stephen Rokosa replied to his comment on the on Reddit regarding the lag issues that players have been facing in the game for the last several months, as we all know. He stated, there are three large issues that are impacting performance right now, and they're all under investigation. One, we're having some odd network issues, not including DDoS attacks. And you may have seen Trendy collecting traces along with other information from players. This data is being passed off to our network engineers who are working to solve the issue. Now, for those of you that aren't aware of what DDoS or DDoS means, it's a denial of service attack. In quick summation, what it means is that a hacker or a nefarious party is sending a significant amount of requests to access a particular server. And what the server does to protect itself from that that sheer amount of traffic is that it shuts down. It blocks traffic entirely. So imagine a, a herd of zombies trying to make it through a mall entrance and you block the mall entrance. Are That's we what the zombies or what are we... What kind of zombies? Are we the zombies? No, well, the nefarious party is the zombie. The nefarious party is the zombies, right? All the zombies want to get into the mall, and they're trying to get to it through the main entrance. And so what the mall defense system does is that it just shuts the door down. Okay? That's that's the best illustration I can I can give right now. The mall defense is cryptic? The mall is cryptic servers. Okay. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. No. Okay. I just want to clarify, yes, there have been some DDoS attacks against the game servers, but this is not what he's talking about. This is apart from those attacks, there are still some odd network issues going on at the Boston server. Second. A bug that caused major frames per second issues went live with Season 10 and wasn't discovered until Friday, April 24th. We have a fix that's already on Tribble and will go live this week. Ooh, that's so exciting. Third, we did some profiling on our heavier maps and discovered that some player powers are incredibly expensive on our game servers. (laughs) It will take some time to identify them all and rebuild them in a way where they are functionally identical to you but far less expensive for the game servers. This is a change that will take time, but will trickle out as we identify the offending powers and make fixes. Now he goes on to say, this is a pretty big deal to us and we have a fair amount of people across a wide array of disciplines working to get this resolved. I apologize for the inconvenience and my delay in posting something about it. Nothing nefarious about the delay. It's simply a busy time over here post-release. Again this week in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from Perfect World and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's the latest comments pulled from the forums, DevTracker, and the Twitterverse. Al Rivera at Captain Gecko tweeted, Oh my glob, I just saw the coolest thing. You guys are going to love what we have in store for the next ship. It's going to be a game changer. Oh boy. What, what's a glob? Well, here's what I can tell you about that tweet 
is that it probably won't be a Klingon science ship. <laughs> Boom, boom. Too soon. Too soon? Yeah. Too soon? Yeah. Too, too soon? soon. Mm-hmm. Last week, Cryptic Jojing posted on the forums explaining the design behind the Iconian resistance suits. He explains that there are a few new features to make this armor unique, such as a glowing pulse option that makes the metal look hot, energized, and powerful. It also has a wide range of colors to choose from, and the head attachments are designed so that you can see your character's face while wearing it. This armor also works with several different ranks and badges and is available to all factions. That's pretty cool. I saw some of that armor. It does look pretty cool. Looks really sleek. Cryptic Jojing also posted on the forums that there will be a revamp in the works for the Klingon faction, both for players and NPCs, to make them look tougher, more realistic, and cooler. Many of the Klingon armor pieces looked a bit cartoonish and or oddly shaped, gravity-defying, and often oversized. There will also be adjustments made to the Klingon body type to make it stronger with more natural proportions. Harder, better, faster, stronger. Did that, 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 did that, 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 that. Harder, better, faster, stronger. What the heck just happened? KDF players will also be able to get a sheathed dachtag, Klingon dagger, fingerless gloves, and a starting rank zero sash, leather strap, as optional starting gear for Klingon faction with a long-term goal of possibly adding more hairstyles. Now that's pretty cool. There is no set date for this, but just keep your eyes open as these changes may be trickling in gradually. Well, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, we have a few events coming up on the calendar. Cookie, why don't you tell us about them? Well, for the fifth week of the Delta recruitment event, we're tasked with replaying missions with our recruits. Completing Tier 1 will grant 50% more to Lithium for all players the following week. Tier 2 will grant 100% and Tier 3, 150%. This is a big reward, so let's hope we can reach this, because I love bonus to lithium. This is my favorite reward so far, although I do not want to replay my missions on my Delta Tune. I just did them, so somebody else can do it. That wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's open up hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. And as a reminder, our community question last week was the same as for episode 218, which was, what was your experience with season 10? We want to know how you enjoyed the featured episode, the new cues, etc., etc. Shane Dax commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Another great episode. I love that the sector walls have come down. Now I am not spending time moving between sectors. Doffing would be a great thing to update. With pilot, intel, and command boffs now active, I would love to see doffs to help support them. While I support the change of allowing players to select their mods on crafted material, the dev team needs to look at all the mods that no one wants and make them more desirable. That's a good point. The truth is that, yes, being able to select your mods is a big, big deal when crafting. I mean, it's just, it's given. I I almost don't know why they released the crafting system without introducing a feature like that. But Shane Dax also brings up a good point, is that there are some mods that are just simply not desirable. Mm Mm-hmm. 
What's a good example? What's a good example of a mod that's not desirable? Like, nobody cares about. Damage mod. Damage? Yeah, nobody cares about damage. <laughs> nobody cares about the damage mod. So what? what is it about the damage mod that nobody cares about that people really want the crit H? Who would want the damage? Is there anybody that would want it? Yes. Well, ah, let me let me qualify that. Back Way back when, when there was this thing called plasma doping, the damage mod was actually the best mod out there for plasma doping. Mm. Of course, not a lot of people knew that. I think I could count the number of people that knew that on one hand, me included. You know, But the thing was, a lot of us had spent a lot of resources on upgrading our crit D3s and our crit D3 pens and stuff. It really wasn't worth it upgrading the damage mod. Voss in the chat's asking, what does damage do? It is basically the same damage bonus that you get from tactical consoles. It's a very small increase to your weapon's base damage. What number is it boosting? What is what is increased? Like if you were to hover over the tooltip. It's a bonus to your, your weapon base damage. So when you hover over the tooltip, you get two numbers on like the first line, which is phaser damage is X amount, DPS is X amount. Is this, is damage affecting the energy type or is it affecting the DPS type? Well, both. Damage is just the, the amount of damage it does in one shot. The DPS is the amount of damage it does per second. So for, I think that's a calculation of how much damage it does for its whole cycle divided by the time of the cycle. It gets really complicated. Let's not jump into what base damage is and where the actual bonuses to base damage goes and the different categories of damage. It'll make your head explode. But on a side note, there is a guy called Virus Dancer on the forums. You can ask him, and if you're prepared to read through a wall of text, that is his reply. He'll probably be very happy to let you know. Eldarian79 posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com Outside the two episodes and the three STFs, the atmosphere of the game does not feel like we are in a war against the Iconians. I would love to see recruiting posters, casualty lists, more armed security at transporters, and of course the anti-war protesters. There are posters in the loading screen, I noticed those. Lots of, um, lots of different ones. I thought they were kind of cool. You are 100% right. I love those posters in the loading screens, and I wish that they were available somewhere else, right? Because we didn't see those on the blogs. We didn't see those in a gallery somewhere. And my guess is that Thomas the Cryptic Cat is the one who designed those posters and put them together. And the loading screen is, it's not the highest resolution quality Sometimes it's too fast. Available. It goes by too yeah, fast. Yeah, it's, too, it's fast. too fast. You only see them for a couple of seconds. I agree completely. Um, I would love to be able to see these posters and other more immersive stuff within the game itself. So like walking around ESD and seeing these posters plastered all over the place and maybe a triage center for like wounded from the battles and oh, yeah. extra security everywhere. And Kelly in the chat says deep space encounters should include Iconians. That would be a good Yep. Red alerts. Um, I know that uh, we received some feedback last week regarding red alerts perhaps being shifted from the Borg to Iconians, right? I mean, how immersive would it be if there's a red alert in the Alpha Quadrant where the Iconians are attacking Beta Z, right? So I really liked the featured episode, right? The featured episode felt immersive. 
But beyond that, right now, beyond those those two featured episodes, I'm not immersed, right? I forget that we're at a war in a war, right? But if I could get in the game and feel that for a little bit, either via a red alert or additional cues or patrol missions, I want to feel as if though I'm in the middle of a war. So I'm getting to the point where it's like it's like Deep Space Nine, where there are a few good episodes, but the rest of it is kind of, you know what? Show me, don't tell me. I want to feel like I'm in this war. And I think that a red alert or a few patrols really would have gone towards that immersion. Or even like the audio in, in ESD, you know, they make little announcements and stuff. They could talk about something about Iconians there. I don't yeah, know how yeah. that would work. Protesters in Starfleet Academy, just a bunch of NPCs in the rage emote lifting their hands. That's not a bad idea, you know? I mean, it, I don't know. I think that little nuances like this really would have enhanced that feeling. I'm going to pull a red shirt guy here, and there's this thing that happened just a little bit earlier. I was flying around Tau Doa sector, and I flew by Starbase 234, and all I could think of my, to myself was that in that the latest feature episode, Starbase 234 got destroyed. We actually, you know, it got wrecked by the heralds, and we had to, you know, escape with our tail between our legs, and why is it still here? This is breaking my immersion. You know, little things like that. Yeah, or at least they could make it look like it was all falling apart. All banged up, or whatever. Murray Fisher writes on our Facebook wall, Hey guys, I just finished listening to episode 219. I've got to say it was my favorite so far. I'm so glad the issue with the department head DOF assignments and the replicator window, huge pet peeve of mine as well. I was not satisfied with Captain Gecko Rivera's response. Please, please, please fix this. Keep the great shows coming. Hey, it bothers Al too, though. Yeah, it really bothers Al too. So, to it. hopefully, hopefully, we'll see a fix. I think just overall, the DOF system needs a, a serious overhaul. Sean Newboy posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Al, please give the whole team a hearty thank you for all the wonderful work on the Delta Recruit program. By the way, are we going to get extras in the future missions for them, even if no special rewards? Wonderful show, everyone. Thank you, Sean Newboy. True to the end. QPan writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Salutations, P1. It's always nice hearing from the lead lizard, although Al should know the difference between the skills and the tree. As for the Season 10 content, the featured episodes are fun, though I like the first mission better than the second. The PvE cues are interesting and engaging. I enjoy the new sector space, though I wish Slipstream would last longer. Great show and very informative as always. Looking forward to next week's episode. Speaking about skills and the skill tree, I am terribly disappointed in all, in all of you guys. <laughs> All, all, all four what? of you. Yeah, you too, Elijah. Why? All right, let's 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 get some things. <laughs> I, knew you would, I knew you guys would be disappointed in me, but I didn't have. I don't know what that is. I don't. Let's let's I get. Still don't know. Let's get something straight, okay? It's time to go to school. Sit down and listen very carefully. Okay. Okay. The what was the name of the skill again? Oh, you don't even know. Yeah, insulators. What that does... Flow capacitors. Uh-uh. It was flow no, capacitors. No, it was the insulators. He asked me what the insulators was. I told him what the flow capacitors was instead, and then he didn't know if it was the flow capacitors. You, you or got it, it all wrong. All of it was wrong. All of it was wrong. <laughs> all of it was wrong. The insulators protects you from power and shield drains. Flow capacitors increases your own shield and power drain. Electroplasma systems is what controls your power transfer rate. Mm. So all four of you got it all wrong. Hold on. 
But you know what, though? That's the point. <laughs> that exactly. therein lies the problem, okay? Not everyone has a eidetic memory and can remember these things, or not everyone has invested the time in theory crafting and power leveling to have memorized these things because they spent hours in front of a Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> so therein lies the problem. For the novice player, the, the person coming in to play this MMO because, heck, it's Star Trek, I want to play it, they have no idea what any of these skills, uh, uh, how they work in any way, shape, or form. Point taken, but I'm still disappointed in you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say something else. He was talking about slipstream. Longer slipstream, unfortunately, is something you have to pay for. There are a few ships in the game that do have the extended slipstream, which would be, uh, I believe, the Odyssey and the Bortescue as well. The Rysian Luxury Cruiser the Dauntless and the Vesta as well. I think the Vesta you have to have the consoles equipped on it to get the extended uh, slipstream. There might be one or two more ships that I don't remember but in general it's something that uh, is very specific to certain ships. And lastly Fleet Admiral Harrison tweeted us I just listened to episode 219 of Priority 1 and it was fun to listen to it all. Keep it up guys great job. Thank you, Harrison. It's great for you to listen. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 220 of Priority One Podcast, brought to you by all our Patreon supporters. But before we do, it's time to thank a few of our patrons. Isaiah Dorsch, Lee Malin, Jeffrey Miracle, and Steve Humphrey. We thank the awesome patrons and the rest of the team of listeners that support us each month on patreon.com forward slash priority one. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. So we've got a big announcement. Priority One Productions is launching a new show designed to add commentary to actual episodes of Star Trek. Watch episodes of your favorite series with familiar hosts and special guests as we offer colorful commentary on those episodes. Keep an eye on PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Share your thoughts with us in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO220 or by replying to our post for this episode on our Facebook page. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast. Give us a like or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriority1. You can even join the Priority One chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join priority one. Admirals, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. Thanks to our patrons, we've already hit our monthly running costs. It's time to start thinking about Vegas. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your ad handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon Fleet Division, Warriors of Priority One. 
Today is a good day to join. A special thanks to our guest hosts, Dr. Robert Hurt and Sarcasm Detector. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with support from audio assistant, Admiral Winters, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. You can catch Midnight Shadow 7 on Tribbles and Ecstasy. Thanks to our graphic artist, Rami Linnale. To all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To the writer of our prelude dramas and foundry reviewer, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. To Chris Trone, our social media manager. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Visualization scientist for the NASA's jet propulsion. <laughs> I see I added the NASA's, but now I gotta get rid of the V. Okay. Jet propulsion jet propulsions laboratory. So we'll trek it out with <sighs> Okay, trek it out in three, two. Oh. It's oh. me. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Cookie, go ahead. Give me, give me the visualization specialist for NASA. What did JPL. I do? You were like for NASA, JPL. Well, you, what do I? Is JPL good or what? Yeah, JPL's good. You could so say, NASA's, say JPL. You would say NASA's JPL. See, that's I knew it. NASA's weird. Jet Propulsion Lab. Jet Propulsion Lab. Come on, Cookie. It's not rocket science. You asked me this earlier. I know, I but you I answer. you gave me the option and I chose the wrong one. <laughs> Joining us to discuss it is Priority One Science Advisor, Visualization Specialist for NASA's Jet Propulsion... Propulsion... Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Just take it from visualization. They see a neat story, and rather than actually research it, talk to a physicist, go to the original source, go to comment, right? No, they just write up their own bullshit based on the bullshit that, you know, is two or three levels deep by the time it uh, gets to you the... Wanna you want to rephrase it to something a little more rated oh, G. Oh, did we? Oh, sorry. We're, we're a G-rated podcast. <laughs> the mall defense is cryptic? The mall is cryptic servers. Okay. Yes. Yeah, pretty well, much. Where, no. Who's the players, then? The, the, yes. players, the players are the survivors trying to get into the safety of the mall, but the zombies, because the zombie horde is activating the mall defense systems, the, the nice people can't make it in, okay? This went way too far. No, I, I totally understand it now. Thanks. Okay. I don't know that I did delete it.
You saved the old ones, though, right? Yeah, so we hold can on. Restore I'm going into it right now. Talk amongst yourselves. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 sorry. Don't, don't sing, that please. That song has been stuck in my head. I'm so sorry. Al Rivera at Captain Ooh. Gecko. Al Rivera? Rivera? Sorry, let me repeat that. <laughs> Who's Riviera? <laughs> it's like I like the... I... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you no go. go. No, if no, I had go. a robot, no, you go. I would. No, that's that's what robot. I want it to look like. Okay, go. No, I forgot what I was gonna say. Go oh on. my god, that's why you should always go first. Go ahead. Go ahead. Time. Go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Me? No, you go. Oh, no, you go. go. No, seriously. You no, go. you hang up. Canadian standoff. You know what these changes will not include? What? Gorn boobies. <laughs> you soon. don't know that, Cam. That they could be coming in with the next patch. <clears throat> me 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 me. <clears throat> that wraps up. Ugh, I can't. Uh, <laughs> see, Cookie, it's all your fault. <laughs> this is Cookie. Cookie. Oh my God. <laughs> Closing sync two. No, that's funny. Closing no, in three, two. Okay. Whatever, I didn't jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Share your thoughts with us. Ab <laughs> about, and oh yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you did, you did a good job. Where to go, Winters? You know, for right, those of let's... you that don't know, Winters, who is uh, one of the audio editors He's for the amazing. show, joins us for the episodes every week. So thank you, Winters, for... Because it's like one in the morning, two in the morning for you right now, isn't it? Oh, my God. He's amazing, isn't he? That's for you. Okay. Uh... <gasps> We're done. La, 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 la. Da, dee, dee, da, dee, da, da, da. <laughs> been torturing them with that song all night.